Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Showtime original Personality Crisis, One Night Only. Directed by Academy Award winner Martin Scorsese and Emmy nominee David Tedeschi, Personality Crisis, One Night Only celebrates the enduring cultural legacy of David Johansson's life and all of his personas. From his days as a pioneer of the punk rock movement, leading rock band New York Dolls, to his reinvention as Buster Poindexter, the chameleonic Johansson created a genre unto himself. Featuring a live performance, Personality Crisis, One Night Only is a testament to a performer who challenged the world to think about identity differently, changing music forever. Personality Crisis, One Night Only, streaming April 14th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey friends, I'm Sharon McMahon, longtime government and law teacher, and on my podcast, here's where it gets interesting. I dive deeply into the stories you haven't heard about America's greatest thinkers and figureheads. I also interview many of today's leading cultural experts like Adam Grant, Ken Burns, and Patrick Radden Keefe, who share their insights challenge us to think in new and innovative ways. So follow Here's Where It Gets Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, 
workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast, uh, episode 67. This episode will be marking the 20th anniversary of Fish's show at the Palace in Auburn Hills, Michigan, 1028, 1995. And that happens to have been the first show of this episode's guests, Brad and RJ. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for having us on. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> hey, guys. It's so good to weird. have you here. It's so weird to be sitting on this side of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. I'm usually behind the desk. It's uh, a lot of responsibility back here, but um, I'll yes. try to fly this thing right. Um, so, Jonathan, thanks for um, agreeing to do this. We're excited to talk about this, Brad. And I, I think throughout the past 60-some episodes, I've mentioned this show from time to time, but I've yeah. never kind of gone into it. Um, it was fun to revisit. We were just chatting about it before we started. Um, so, yeah, this is it's going to be fun. 20 years is a long-ass time. It's longer than I've most of the things I've done in my life, you know? I was thinking that um, it's it's really crazy that, you know, I was 16 when we went to the show. I'm now 36. So I've been listening to Fish for more than half my life, which I'm sure a lot of people have. But it's it's cool to think about in, th- in those terms, you know? Yeah. yeah I also got a chance to, um, RJ, I, I, I was texting with Justin today, who was like, our our fellow fish head when we were this age um he'd go to the shows with us so that it and we we haven't i don't really chat with him anymore so it's fun that we got to you know go back on this it brings us together i guess nice that's awesome first shows are pretty special they're you know like your first immersion into fish you know you think you know fish and then you go to your first show so um maybe you guys could kind of Tell us about what led you to see your first show. I mean, Brad and I pretty much have the same path. That's what's interesting, I guess. It seems like we we both um, kind of follow the same path. But we, um, you know, people in school were listening to The Dead and listening to... Um, we were really into Humphreys. Classic, classic rock. And, and the fish just came up in a lot of different contexts at the same time. We had a friend, this guy, Ed, who big fish fan and several people at our school and it just kind of came together um but i think i started collecting tapes maybe at the beginning of 95 and i was sending out envelopes and things um so i was really pretty excited to finally see them in concert and it's definitely one of the first shows i ever saw yeah like went by myself to a live rock and roll concert at a big stadium like this this was definitely the first one i think we'd been to i was like Lollapalooza 95 at an outdoor venue it's it was Pine Knob I don't know what it is now like DTE or something um up near Detroit obviously a huge fan of the dead um I don't you know thinking back you know I'm always frustrated that I missed the 94 shows that came close but I don't really know many people who went like within my larger 
larger circle of friends or like, you know, friends of friends. So I really wouldn't have had that much of an opportunity to go. Uh, my sister saw the dead a few times in 93. I was too young, according to my father, to go to those. So um, I was really excited. I mean, this is this is like what a few years of, um, you know, listening to live shows and, and bootlegs and that kind of stuff really led to. You know, this October night. I just want to add that the the trading of tapes and the collecting of tapes was a perfect um, hobby for a perfect combination of, you know, taking advantage of slight OCD tendencies um, so of, of baseball card collecting, but also mixing it with drugs and music. So it was like this awesome hobby. And also there was this like internet thing that you could go to Andy Goodeal's fish page and like refresh it and it would take like 15 minutes but you could see the set list from the night before and that was just like it was such a um it it's i don't know the best way i can put it is that it was a hobby you know that i identified with and and started kind of taking pretty seriously even before we saw the show so it was it was it was leading up to to that um going to the show it's certainly an excellent nexus of a variety of interests um I think that most of us probably share. Oh, uh, did you guys have your first it moment at this show or was it listening to tapes or maybe take you a couple shows? Uh, doesn't make for great podcasting, but there's not a whole lot. But I recall like firsthand, I totally remember um, a song in the first set. Um, and then obviously the chess thing was cool because it was actually two songs in the first set. And then the chess thing was cool. Um as I thought that was totally different, but you know, I, nothing really like took me away um, to that to that place that we all call it. Um, I think that was that was later the same year though, in in, in um, December. I went to the Cleveland show twelve eight, I think. Um, Lovely, and um, I had a greater grasp of like what to expect and how to um, consume it, I guess, um, and that was like this like 2001 into tweezer into kong was like i'm like this i need i need to see more of this so um not to down talk this show it's a really good show but you know what i mean it was like oh yeah i was this little 16 year old kid who didn't even you know couldn't grow a mustache if i wanted to um, not that i wanted to but you know what i'm saying just young and dumb and um what's wrong it, with mustaches they're they're wonderful i'm just saying i okay. couldn't do it um, <laughs> they're the best yeah and it, you know, it's like the, the palace is huge. It's a huge place. Um, and I saw Def Leppard there with my mom, but my mom was with me, so it's like you know, that you had that, count. right? Right, it doesn't count, and you weren't like in it by yourself. And and this was um, that whole experience was really overwhelming in a, in a good way, but at the same time, I was still kind of not one hundred percent into you know every note that Trey was laying down. RJ? It's, yeah, Brad, I think, I wonder how many other people have been to a Def Leppard show with their mom, you know? I feel like you might be among among the <laughs> few and the privileged, you know? Are you serious? Uh, I, I My mom uh, also took me to the Pointer Sisters. That was pretty awesome. Nice. Nice. I, well, I hope our listeners will uh, let us know if they, too, went to Def Leppard with their mom. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree with Brad on the mu- music piece. I mean, I was too, it was too much to, like, process at the time, I think. Um, I remember a lot of the songs, but I remember, and I remember that specifically where I was sitting and all that, but, um, musically, I think the, 
the song the specific songs which i know we'll get into were were memorable in different ways but i think my first real hip moment probably honestly came in in the fall of 97 when i when i first the first show i saw that tour which was champagne and that was just that was the the pinnacle of any music i've ever seen live you know and that was by that time i'd seen a bunch of other shows and that was just totally blew me away and kind of was was the deal breaker for for life but um the biggest it moment about the show i think was just seeing the scene you know in person and seeing the scene as a 16 year old um seeing that all these people actually traveled around and made a living by selling things and in parking lots and there are these all these insane people and different kind of people and showed that there was this like community that existed outside of our little high school existence which was all we really knew at the time it's a great i want to add to that i think it's a great point but um i you know i had like my cargo pants on and my tie-dye and i was like you know totally into it and i um walked up i was like in the you know in the crush to get in through the doors and the people in front of me like saw somebody they knew and they're like hey whatever and then um somebody said oh hey it's like it's you know sally's 100th show tonight and i was like what the fuck i'm like somebody this is their 100th show of this band like i mean like of every band or just fish and they're like no fish show man i was like holy shit yeah yeah (laughs) i was like whoa that's awesome and that, that was my first realization like whoa this is like a pretty serious community about this band and these people have traveled great distances to see them so um it kind of uh, made the expectations even greater, I guess, um, for what was what was to come. Well, and um, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I was I was actually going to ask you guys about that about the scene um, and what your thoughts about it. Maybe we can talk a little more. But the uh, I wanted to say that I think the the idea of not having the big hit moment at your first show I think is probably pretty common. I mean, you guys, like, as you guys said, you were 16. It was, seems perfectly reasonable to go in there and be overwhelmed and uh, need a little more prep time to really get it, yeah. to really go beyond at, at, at a future show. So uh, do you have any other memories, thoughts about the, the scene in particular or other things that struck you you want to talk about uh, before we get into the music? I mean, I guess the thing I would say, and this is just just sort of the context. I mean, this is a huge place, as as um, I think Brad mentioned, and I think then the night before, which we weren't at, but the night before was a totally small, little, intimate place, and then going to this giant arena. So, I wonder, music-wise, we didn't know that at the time, but music-wise, it seems to have like just been a totally different thing than people had seen previously on the tour. And I wonder if that's part of why, like some of this music is just it's just a weird show in a good way it's like weird and dark and trippy and you know exploratory and going from a tiny arena into this huge huge venue is um is a pretty big contrast you know i think the it moment thing is something that is i haven't actually reflected on that until we just started talking about it but you know there's there's such a um big focus on like what moments you know grab you at shows and in which and we our memory goes back to specific shows and specific jams and sets and whatnot but it's really like the it's the accumulation of all that stuff you know the accumulation of all the memories and stuff that makes those those first memories like more accessible does that make sense 
you kind of have to go through a lot more and gather more data in order to like fully i think what you were saying fully appreciate it but it's it set such a strong foundation for seeing more shows you know it, it left an impression that made us all want to go back and see more whatever our first shows were you know what i mean absolutely turn um, me on to turn me on to mike's bluegrass this show um you know i hadn't had been like a student of it or anything i'm, I'm still not but um it really made me appreciate it and um uh, it it started me into like listening to other types of you know real bluegrass I guess <laughs> um, yeah original blue, blue, bluegrass you know the Bill Monroe stuff so um, I thought that was really cool it's it, the first show is it's it's a it's a good like jumping off place I guess for people to look at like their own history of the band and like what where you got on and what 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 the band was doing at that point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we'll go ahead and uh, jump in the music here. So as usual, we're going to split this episode into two parts. We'll do the first set this week and then set two next week, which I think will roughly coincide with the anniversary of this show. Um, so we're going to play set one now and we'll come back in a bit and tell you, talk about what we heard.
This podcast is brought to you by the Showtime original Personality Crisis, One Night Only. Directed by Academy Award winner Martin Scorsese and Emmy nominee David Tedeschi, Personality Crisis, One Night Only celebrates the enduring cultural legacy of David Johansson's life and all of his personas. From his days as a pioneer of the punk rock movement, leading rock band New York Dolls, to his reinvention as Buster Poindexter, the chameleonic Johansson created a genre unto himself. Featuring a live performance, Personality Crisis, One Night Only is a testament to a performer who challenged the world to think about identity differently, changing music forever. Personality Crisis, One Night Only, streaming April 14th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
All right, welcome back. That was the first set of 102895 from the Palace in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Uh, set opened with ACDC bag. It um, Fish.net says it went into mound. Uh, and then we heard Timber, Uncle Pen, Sample, The Lizards, Billy Breathes, A Nice Acoustic Army. We heard Prince Caspian in the set closed with an antelope. Um, pretty great first set. Um, whether it was your first show or, you know, your hundredth, like those people in front of me, I think. Um, I, let's start off with the bag, you guys. I mean, that ACDC was, it it, it made me, um, I don't know, I guess nostalgic is the best word for those eight-minute ACDCs that, you know, they used to jam out like this. They don't, not that they don't do it any at ever anymore, but man, it was really fun. Yeah, it was a nice, long, uh, kind of groovy bag you know and i hadn't listened to this and i don't even know how many years and uh it just took me right into that 95 space yep yeah yeah i mean there's you know this isn't definitely my favorite opener of if i could choose any opener this would be it i guess that's that's a specific remnant of of this first show but they i remember that seeing the people seeing people dancing and seeing people really right off the bat kind of getting you know getting into it in a longish sort of song was um was pretty interesting and the really good i mean the the jam was great and then i remember specifically mound the next song being like very um that was like my what like what the like what is this band doing moment you know <laughs> with like the, the yeah. offbeat mm-hmm. drums and the clapping and you're just right. like it made me want to learn more and become part of this figure out how to become part of this group as opposed to like running away like these this is insane but it actually was insane too you know what i mean it's yeah. a pretty odd number um it was for for me it was really cool because you know i listened to rift a thousand times um before this and um i thought it was funny on the fish od recording the version like the people around the taper were n- nowhere near being like <laughs> on time. Like they oh, weren't even on yeah. time with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was really fun yeah. to listen, but that's the way it is, you know, and that's, that's probably part of the reason they do it just kind of as a silly thing. I also want to note before we move on is that they opened this show with ACDC. And then I think the next palace show they opened with buried alive and, yeah. um, 96. those two songs. Yeah. The 96, the, those two songs I think are my two favorite openers. So nice. it's kind of funny that, um, you know, both shows, the first two shows, the palace had him, but and what's not to love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mound was great. And they, it was followed by timber or timber, Jerry, if you look at Fishnet, or timber, ho, if it's how we would mm-hmm. have written it on our tapes in 95 yeah. and, with an exclamation um, point. Yeah. 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 Timber, ho. timber so, ho is definitely the, what I, what I think yeah. the song's called, but I, yeah. I like this version. It was, you know, everything about this show i'm going to say this a bunch so it was it was kind of a classic version it's just kind of it's not super long but not too short and it's good rocking little jam that reminded me of something off uh some soundtrack i heard somewhere once and uh <laughs> this good stuff uh brad what you think about it you know i think um i've probably said this before as we're 60 some episodes in but um i think this song fits Trey's voice or Trey makes it fit his voice like really well. I just love the way he sings it. Um, kind of like my soul a little bit. Um, it's a cover that he's, he's really made his own as far as the, you know, the vocals go. Um, it also, 
it was a glimpse, I think, into like some some dark some dark jams we'd get later. Um, even you know five years later or whatever. I think because um, uh, it you know it, it, I don't know what I'm starting to say. I guess in 3.0 you don't get those sort of like dark darkest jams. Karini might take us there nowadays in 3.0, right. but like Timber, it's great. It's really cool, and this is like this. And um, Uncle Pen were the two songs that I really remembered from the first set. And going back, it, I, I know why, just because they were totally different, and I didn't know a band who could who could transition like that from Timber to Uncle Pen, like like this band in front of me just did. I was like, this is crazy. It's quite a move, RJ. Yeah, I mean, this looking at this set list and talking about this show is like. Um, it just it's so weird to it's so like burned into my memory that it it's hard to go back and like break it down song by song because i just have listened to it so many times you know but it the construction of the set is like sort of a little odd with timber being right here as like a third song first set kind of thing i don't know maybe maybe i should look at more 95 to know if that's true or not but this is it seems like we're going into a lot of different directions here and then uncle pen and then you know uncle pen next sorry um but but it's hard to like think about these songs in um isolated from each other because the whole thing is just so like burned into my memory does that make yeah. sense yeah but feel free to take it in chunks i mean yeah uh, it mm-hmm. does to me it feels like 95 because this kind of song selection is um is it's my kind of thing frankly um so i I'm really excited to be revisiting this show. I, I, it's hard to say revisiting. I know I've listened to it, but it's been so long. Um, and Uncle Pen, uh, I've said it on here before, and I haven't been on 67 episodes, but I know I've said that I love the bluegrass when Fish plays bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when bluegrass people play bluegrass. And so Uncle Pen, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's an excellent version of it. This is the kind of thing I still dream of seeing uh, at any show I go to. And then, yeah, um, Trey, Trey's fingers are nimble yeah. with the Uncle Pen, and it, oh, it really, you know, shines when he's when he's playing it like that. Um, but I, I agree too, RJ, that like this is, you know, I think Mike's usually like a third song in the set, and they play Timber, and then they played a Mike song, which is, I don't know, it's different than than you know we usually think about it. I guess construction was less predictable. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true, and then this sample, which I don't remember at all, but I'm sure it was rockin' and cool. Um, mm-hmm. but Just like it is on here. It's yeah. rockin' and cool, yeah. you know. It's a, it's a sample. Yeah. And then uh, you get... You, I'm sorry, Brad, do you want to talk about sample? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> then you get a really nice lizards out of that. And so I, I'm sure the uh, people who were at their 100th show were like, yeah, all these Game Henge songs, and you guys were like, right. hey, it's cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretty much. And I, the cool. lizards is definitely something I remember. It's probably the one of the things I remember most, and just that the, it was just it was so it was it was very very pleasant, you know, and just really nice. Yep. Just a really fun, nice, nice song that um, definitely was con- contrasted with the timber at least, but also mound and just like the strangeness of of those two in a row. And lizards was just a total like breath of fresh air you know especially before you get into the end of this set which was also pretty intense so rj you i know you mentioned before that you had been trading tapes before you uh got to this show had you gotten a copy of the man who stepped into yesterday at this point do you think yeah yeah that was definitely among Mm. the first so we yeah we definitely had that kind of um we were just still learning about 
about the okay. the tales. So that's, yeah, I remember that's, this lizards made me want to go back and like learn everything about it. I've I'd listened to it a few times, but you know what I mean. It was like, man, this is you know. I just I felt like I don't know enough about this. I I need to do my homework or whatever. Yeah. So that was the uh, another thing I was wondering, and um, kind of applies a lot to the next couple of songs. Is you know overall how much of this was totally brand new material uh for you guys you know you had the albums i would presume or most of them at that point and some tapes but you probably not heard billy breathes before yeah definitely not um and maybe not even yeah i don't think we had heard i don't think i had heard it at all um maybe that was the only song that i hadn't heard but i'm not i'm not positive offhand but i think that's probably we probably had a couple summer '95 tapes, so yeah. the Caspian uh, yeah, acoustic Caspian. army weren't out of the. Uh... Yeah, definitely. Had yeah, both the Lowell Ooh, go ahead. show. Sorry. The Lowell show was the was the one I remember getting. You know, okay. the, the opener. Um, I feel like that was really highly circulated, but the quality wasn't very good. But like everyone was passing it around because it had so many new songs. You know. Yeah, it had all those firsts that everybody everybody had to have that tape right away. So what did you think? You know, the Billy Breeze Acoustic Army is kind of a lot of a breather in your first first set. Did you you didn't know any better though? So then, nope, do you I, recall the breather or listening to it now? Do you think, wow, it's really nice? How would you like it now? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Go, going back, I thought the Billy Breeze is beautiful, and they should do it more often. Just a really nice, beautiful song. Um, I, I heard about the Acoustic Army just like through Good Deals page and things. So I thought that was cool that we got to see it. But it wasn't something that, you know, was burned into my mind or anything. I thought it was cool that we got to see it. And I was like, I wrote it in my set list. Um, I think I like, I like asterisked it or whatever in my little, my little notebook just because um, I thought it was like not really a song. It was them being cool or whatever. I don't know. It was I, both. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, this is like, they were just doing stuff, and I was listening. You know, there was no like, there. It, it was the it was the age of innocence. You know, of being a fish fan. There was no, um, there was no expectation. There was no criticism. There was no like, anxiety about like, what are they going to play next? What are they not going to play? It was just like, it was just there. You know. But it really does sound accurate and kind of a. You know, I talk about no expectations in shows all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the it's the perfect, perfect spot for it. So then they yeah, played Caspian. Let me, and sorry, felt- let me let me clarify that like that. Um, I what was I did not have a setlist notebook with me at that time. Like this was like going back and putting it in there. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I was not. You know, I didn't I didn't know anything about that until yeah. a few shows in. Obviously. That's fair. Um, and I will just say, I just want to say also that I think the no expectations thing, I feel like personally I have f- maybe two years ago, so 18 years after my first show, finally been able to access that again. You know, the no expectations, like actually going to a show and being happy with anything they play and anything I hear. And those years in between were not necessarily like that, especially like mid 1.0. 2.0 and early 3.0 I guess most of it but yeah. um you know I I'm very content with getting back to that that place of no expectations you know I think I found it right about the same time and uh it is nice to be there but to the, to to excuse it I think is 
is to say that um, getting the full breadth of knowledge or whatever um, of the band makes you then start counting the songs and chasing the songs and um, wanting to see something after something, you know, so that it's like a natural progression. And then you become old and wise. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I know, Someday, but maybe tomorrow. Brad, that Dick's last year, Brad, was really stomping his feet and crossing his arms when they weren't playing his songs, <laughs> <laughs> making a sad face. I, you know, I, I talk the talk, but if you get to the le- latter part of a Mike's groove, you're going to see me waiting and watching to see if they're going to play hydrogen or not. Yeah. And, uh, so, and then when they <laughs> every don't, single go, time, <laughs> yeah, when they don't, uh, you know, unless they really blow my mind, I'll probably at least for a moment go, damn. Yeah. And then you drag <laughs> down then, the, you drag down I the average get right rating. down to it. Then you drag down the average rating on fishnet. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> me. A lot, Jonathan. <laughs> um, stats per usual. So the yeah, so that's a but it's I'm glad you brought that up because that is the that was kind of a takeaway. It was like we have no idea, you know, and that's part of the beauty of it. I remember by fall ninety seven I was or summer ninety seven I had a lot of expectations. That's almost two years later and hundreds of tapes later and understanding a lot more about their music and catalog and I remember like just wanting them to be a certain way. And they just they were different. I mean it was better in retrospect but they weren't where i was expecting them to be so therefore it was like somewhat there were times that were disappointing but now in retrospect summer 97 was awesome so luckily that should also never be disappointing right yeah exactly i mean it all calibrated in fall 97 when everything was just perfect no matter what but but there was like a weird what that wasn't fall 97 no that was disappointing oh (laughs) yeah that was expected to be disappointing sorry jonathan we're hijacking your Oh, hey, you know, every, everybody's here to listening to hear the guests. So. <laughs> finally, God, finally we got a chance to talk. Yeah, go right ahead. Anyway, there's been some other stuff I've been wanting to say, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, did we talk about Caspian or does the expectations conversation cover it? Um, I like the Caspian, by the way. I like old early Caspians with this kind of fishman thumping on the t- you know the floor tom intro and stuff and this sounds really good but it's yeah. just caspian it was different to me going back than you know what we hear now with caspian but yeah. I'll, i like all caspians and i would would never use an expletive to refer to it, it was, no, i use i use that name for my cat <laughs> nice i thought it was really short though right it was just like it was like three minutes or something which is like a nice little little short interlude a little bit more of that, you know, short breather song thing. Um, and then um, they played Antelope. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely remember that well. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. such a rager and that's super, man, they were really, really intense about playing Antelope in, in these years. <laughs> well, it turns out if I'm at a show, they're going to play Antelope. So um, they played Antelope and I heard my first, heard of my first two shows, I think, you know, like Zizek or Zizek stats or whatever say that I've seen it like 38% of the time or something like that. So last time I checked, it's wow. a lot. Yeah, that is um, that's a lot. So that's... I've seen it a lot and I don't hate it every time I see it. That's for sure. Sweet. <laughs> well, this one is a pretty good one to start on, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's it... it's not out of this world uh, different. It's just pretty much standard grade 95 antelope. 
Was it like, f- how long was it, like 14 minutes? Yeah, something like that. Not that, not that it matters, but. Yeah, but that's about right. And, um, you know, so it doesn't go too far too deep, but it, you know, rips appropriately mm-hmm. and ends a set leaving you jumping up and down going, oh, more, more. Oh, they're coming back, right? Yeah. Something like that, maybe? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the break, you know, from the jam into the Marco Escondola sort of sequences, definitely the lights, the way it just just changes, you know. It's just it's such a, it's a something if if you're seeing it live for the first time, that's pretty remarkable. And we mm-hmm. talk about the way the lights, you know, the lights interact with the experience, but on some of those older songs where you you know when the lights are going to change over at the break of a song those are the things that when i take people to shows when it's like their first show i'm like you got to watch this this is important you know <laughs> that or the focus on the lights or when rebo goes into the jam or when you know there's there's a lot of those moments that where you just like wait for it and it it's just it's really powerful you know what else i took away from this antelope the first time was like just page and how much he played part in the band where i thought before he was just kind of you know he, he, it's hard for him to come through on tapes um especially if it's like a third gen fourth gen or whatever um so i thought he he really stood out to me the first time and he was he was really nice in this this antelope yeah you know page is uh pretty on it through the whole show i thought um you know had a great break in the lizards and uh, everywhere really and yeah i thought he he definitely took a lot of the load in the antelope as they uh, peaked it out. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, really good first set. I actually, and I don't remember, I just just to go back for one sec, I don't really remember the acoustic army at all. I don't remember them mm. sitting there with acoustic guitars at all. I don't know, maybe I was in the bathroom or something. But um, apparently that would have been a really cool thing to see, probably. It, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things I wish I had scene you know what i mean like i wish that i had a memory of that but you could recall it yeah oh man but i've seen pictures <laughs> <laughs> my kids have seen pictures <laughs> exactly. right. um, awesome cool and that didn't they play did they play keyboard cavalry was that was that dicks yeah this Distress year dicks yeah 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 and that was 95 when they did that right acoustic army and this and the keyboard cavalry right cavalry right that's a pretty cool couple, you know, little and special things they did that year. Rotation Jam also came up in mm-hmm. that year. Um, saw a couple of those. Later, yeah, when I think of one, I, th- I think of the other two almost immediately. Just kind of like your brain goes there into them. They're little antics, and even they're not really antics, so they're just kind of like showing off, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And then a couple really long, real boring tweezers were in 95 too. Remember that? <laughs> Some other stuff. Never heard of it. I don't know. It, it seems like somebody would have done a radio show about it or <laughs> yeah, something. Sure. Uh, what a bunch of lazy asses. Um, yeah, so that was, that was fun. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you guys had this one as your first. I probably wouldn't have got to it anytime soon. So, um, Jonathan, although- what shows did you see in Fall 95? I what should, I saw Hampton, I saw Cap Center, I saw Hershey, which rules your face, and I saw Philly, twelve fifteen. Awesome, so nice, good shows. Yeah, it, it was it was fun. We were seeing a show like every every other week or something. Um, I probably could have done a couple of more, but I was trying not to lose my job. And yeah, lot, you can't you can't go back on it like that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't regret it. 
um, it, it was a lot of fun. We saw some great, great stuff. So nice, nice. Um, yeah, it's a fun tour. I'm, I'm looking forward, and uh, I'll go ahead and uh, spoiler alert: tell people we will be revisiting a little uh, fall December '95 uh, in a future episode. That's true. But, this has been a lot of fun. The set was pretty good. And uh, we'll be back next week with set two, uh, which has great stuff. And we'll have our guests, Brad and RJ, back with us. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so now. Until then, you can find us at, uh, at HFPod on the Twitter and uh, HFPod.com. Please don't forget to rate us on the iTunes because people think that's important. And so do I. Until then, RJ, what do you have to say? I say I think that people should keep on rocking. Until next week, thank you. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey friends, I'm Sharon McMahon, longtime government and law teacher. And on my podcast, here's where it gets interesting. I dive deeply into the stories you haven't heard about America's greatest thinkers and figureheads. I also interview many of today's leading cultural experts like Adam Grant, Ken Burns, and Patrick Radden Keefe, who share their insights challenge us to think in new and innovative ways. So follow Here's Where It Gets Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.